Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today we have a super special episode. My dad has been begging me to do this one for a long time. It's featuring my daddy, my grandma, and my grandpa Marvin, who passed away, but we had a special recording that my dad found, and we're going to share it in this episode. Get ready for a triple generation Friedman adventure. Grandma Rose, welcome. Can you hear me, Grandma? Yeah. So you're 91 years old now, right? In order for anybody to really know my background, you have to know where I come from. And my mother came from the island of Rhodes in Greece and came to this country with her brother because they heard there's gold on the streets in America. But when they got here, they found on the Lower East Side where uh, they came, they found nothing but poverty and filth on the streets and people were eating out of garbage cans. He says, let's go right back. And my mother said, no, I think I'm going to stay here because I would like to get married. And the island of Rhodes was taken over by the Italian government after World War I. And it was given back to the Greek people after World War II. So everyone that she went to school with was Italian, and she didn't want to marry uh, someone that was Italian. One of her sisters did. She was very fortunate because a priest hid her in his basement for four years and fed her. She was the only person that survived in her family that had 300 people in it. So when she decided to stay in this country, she got in touch with someone who would tell her where the Sephardic synagogue was in New York. And at that time, they had a very beautiful Sephardic community. And she said she wanted to get married. And they told her they had a wonderful young man, very handsome, that wants to get married. So she met him and liked him. And after three months, they decided to get married. And at the altar, they told her that he only had about a year to live because he had a very bad heart. He had a terrible heart attack. And the doctors at that time told him that he had about a year to live. So she said, I was wondering why God put me in this place all by myself. I guess it was this young man's destiny for me to carry on his destiny for me. They got married and he got her pregnant right away. And in less than a year, he did die. And in Greece, if a woman lost her husband, the government would help to support you and the baby. But in the United States at that time, 
if you did not have a husband, you had to go to work and support yourself and your child. And she had a high school education, but she didn't know how to operate anything. She was offered a job in one of the sewing machine factories where you worked a 10-hour day for a dollar a day. And uh, she carried her baby to work and put him in a nursery and worked 10 hours a day sewing, then carried him back to her one-room apartment. And she did this for five years and then met my father, who had come to this country. Both my father and my mother's family came to America from the Spanish Inquisition. And for 500 years, they kept the Sephardic uh, language, which is a combination of Latin and Spanish and uh, a couple of other countries all mixed in. My father, the minute he saw her, he knew that was the only girl that he wanted to marry. My mother was a really, really beautiful young woman with very large green eyes and black hair, very, very fair-skinned. She was about five foot five. So she was just a very beautiful, beautiful woman. And both of them, from the time I was four years old, taught me how to speak the language. And at that time, you went to kindergarten at five so that by six, you could be in first grade. He had me take a test and told them probably that I was five. And by the time I was four, I was already in first grade. I was achiever from the time I was four. And I knew in my heart that I wanted to be somebody. I had a big brother who was five, almost six, I guess. And I adored him. He was my hero. He took me everywhere and protected me. When I was eight years old, my brother and I used to go to the pushcarts on Orchard Street and break up the boxes. Everything came in wood boxes. We would drag eight or ten of them home, depending on the size of them. My brother would break them up and feed the coal stove in the middle of our one-room apartment. We couldn't afford to buy coal, and he would keep that stove going all night. My mother then had my sister and then my brother. She had the three of us in like four and a half years. <laughs> the four of us would sit, sleep in little cots around the stove in the middle of our one-room apartment <laughs> in order to go to the bathroom, there was one in the hallway, which was sh shared with another tenant. And my mother would scrub that bathroom from head to foot three or four times a day. She was so afraid that one of us could get sick from a toilet that was used by another family. One day, when we went to the market on Orchard Street, we would go at the end of the day where they would have to sell whatever food they had at any price because they had no place where to put the food. 
My mother didn't care what vegetables she bought. She made a, a soup every day with a different vegetables in it. We didn't have any money to buy meat, but she had never really bought meat because in Greece, they only use lamb or chicken. So we mostly, she would go to the fresh fish place where they would catch a little fish out of their tanks and scale it, cut it up for you. So we mostly ate fish and we'd have a big soup. So I asked of this young man when I was eight, where do you get those shopping bags? She said, there's a, a person at the end of this row of pushcarts all the way at the very end. He sells them to us for a penny and then we charge two cents. And I said to him, you make 10 cents every day? And they said, yes, sometimes we even get 20 of them before the Jewish holidays. I said, some days you make 20 cents? He says, yes. I said, I want to do that. And he looked at me and he laughed. He says, how old are you? I said, eight. He says, the shopping bag is taller than you are. <laughs> So I told my father, I can do it. I want to sell shopping bags. And my mother said, don't you dare allow her on the streets at night. Children are being kidnapped every day. And he said, don't worry. She'll only do it for a week. Whenever a child wants to learn how to do something, we have to give them that opportunity. And don't worry, I'll go pick her up every night. I won't let her leave until I get there. So I went and got 10 shopping bags the very next night. And I'm holding them up over my head and saying, you know, shopping bags, two cents. My whole family loved to sing. It was practically a song as I went along. This woman came over to me the very first day I was there. And she says, how old are you? I said, I'm eight. Why are you selling shopping bags? I said, because my mommy is very poor and I have to help her. She took out a dollar and gave it to me. My very first day, I'll never forget it. As long as I live, there are things that you just never forget. I went home and I said, you don't have to buy me a Charlotte Russe anymore. Every Sunday, my daddy brought us to Seward Park and bought us a Charlotte Russe, which is like a little round piece of cardboard with a piece of cake in it with whipped cream on top with a cherry. And we looked forward to that Sunday afternoon all the time. And he says, why not? I said, because I'm working now. And I can buy my own Charlotte Russe. He said, I can still buy you a Charlotte Russe. I said, no, I want to buy my own Charlotte Russe. I did that for three years, believe it or not. At the end of the three years, at that time, you could open up a bank account in school. They wanted children to learn the advantage of saving money so that you could bank it. So I opened up an account, 
when I was only eight years old and put that dollar bill in it. And I saved with that account until recently when all my files were stolen by my three daughters. That file in particular was very dear to me because I used that same bank for 40 or 50 years. Anyway, at the end of the three years, I had $100 in my bank account, which in today's terms would be like $1,000 or $2,000. My sister, Bessie, had a, a life where she endured her life. Her destiny was one of self-sacrifice her entire life. And she got hit by a, a car from a driver that was working for the AMP, was late for work. And on the street where the children were crossing the street to go to the candy store across the street, hit her, it broke her neck. They wrote a, a book about her because she was the only child that had survived a broken neck. But she lost the ability of her right side and could never use her right arm again. And she had to drag her right foot with a whole year of therapy where she could actually walk in a very disabled way. There are many, many people in my family that all have learned to work very hard and try to be a light in this world. My brother, Isaac, became the person that trained Monkey and was sent to the moon and back. And he was a great scientist and invented the night goggles so that aviators were crashing during the night, could be able to see in the dark. He wrote about 49 books on all the sciences that he had been involved with. I come from a family of dedicated, aggressive people who only wanted to do this work a better place. I believe that no one is entitled to anything for free because then they have no appreciation for what they have worked and accomplished. It's a much better world if everyone had the idea that working is a good thing. It makes you proud of what you are and what you can do. If someone does everything for you, like the world has become right now, a Robin Hood her thinking, Let's rob the rich, let's give it to the poor. The poor need the money. Yes, of course they do, because they don't work. I love you. That was an interview with my grandma Rose telling her story. And my dad recently found some tapes of my grandfather who passed away, and now you're gonna hear from him, sharing his words in his voice for the first time. Last Friday he got sick or something. Oh, right, he uh, supposedly was nauseous. You think yeah. that was an act too? I don't know what that, mom, because when I got home, he was at my house. He both been so sick, why wouldn't he at home in the bed? <laughs> right, right. Instead, he's visiting your house. Yes. Was he just socializing or well, dinner? Well, he'd go with my daughter. 
Right, yeah, the brain told him. Sounds like he's a real headache, huh? He is. Not only to... And Wayne come up in the morning night shift, I don't think I want him on that shift. If left up to me, he can go on down the road, man. <laughs> but that's how I feel about it. Cause see, he causing too much trouble around here. So he's not just a headache to the company, he's a headache to you too. Yes. I don't know, he certainly seems to put on a good act. If you're going to be sick, you're going to be sick. But why you got to come to work and say I'm sick? The first day when you're supposed to be back to work, then you get sick. Right. And you got to go home. All right, then he work one day this week, then he come back in the next day, fall down the steps. And what are you going to do next? Jump off the roof? It's so different. Though. I had to apologize to Wayne about it because I didn't want to tell him about the job. So I'll tell you a quick story and I'll let you go. It's so different to the way I was brought up, probably the way you were brought uh -huh. up, that it's hard for me to understand. When I got out of the Navy, World War II, a few years ago, <laughs> okay. they had what was called a 5220 club. But automatically, if you were a veteran, you could stay home and be unemployed, and you automatically get $20 a week for any reason whatsoever, you know? And I'm not trying to make myself a hero, but not only myself. I was brought up in a very poor neighborhood. At that time, every nickel counted, True. almost every penny counted, all right? And not only myself, but all the other veterans, at least in my neighborhood, that was brought up the hard way, they wouldn't touch one dollar of that free money. Well, I don't know. Do you understand? I understand. Um, Maybe you and I understand. It was a matter of pride. That's right. We'd go down, we'd rather do mopping floors, work as busboys, get any kind of work whatsoever. Work as work, Mark. Work as work. Shovel, you know what. Work as work. Don't get paid for it as work. I hate to tell you this, at that time we used to get delivery of milk and ice, horse and wagon, and somebody had to clean the streets. I just got out of the service. Marvin was not afraid to go ahead and do that. Right. I'm just trying to tell you, yeah. I, I can't, don't understand. I don't know how men like Alfred Gordon. And he started off great back there. He did start off good, huh? He started off, I thought he was going to be great back there. What a pity. Now he's he's on my list. He is on your list, huh? Well, I can't say nothing, but I, I, I appreciate you talking with me. Right. If you hear of anything else that justifies. Yeah. But I know for a fact that he told the cat officer, I know he took a, a big chunk out of him. He did take it out himself? Yes, yes he did. Son of a gun. And that's what I told Wayne. Is it possible he did it over the weekend? He did it Sunday. Uh-huh. At my house. No kidding. Oh, for God's sake. So he took a chunk of the cast out right there. Then he come in, work one day, then he fall down, fall up from stairs. How can you fall up from stairs? Fall up, not down. Not down, <laughs> up from stairs. <laughs> so, Thanks for telling me, uh -huh. you know. Well, I, look, I like to give everybody a fair evaluation, you know. Uh -huh. And I think with your help, I just gave it a very, well, very fair evaluation. Not only did he make him. My company looked bad, but he's making himself look bad. Absolutely. So, and I can't stand people trying to beat people out of something that they didn't know. Well, you and I read each other. It's, it's shameful. I'd be ashamed of myself to act like that. I wouldn't even feel human. I wouldn't bother. I would bother to look for what I got. That's the way I was. I push it a lot. So, right. And, I don't know what to say about it, Mom. And as you wisely pointed out, that was our same statement in that little city I was brought up called New York City. Right. Work is work, no matter right. what it is. No matter what it is, all right? I was brought up on a farm. I believe in hard work. Were you brought up on a farm, yes, too? Yes, I was. A little town called Olive Bluff, Mississippi. Really? Really. One horse town. You know, I was brought up at a little farm, too, in Long Branch, New Jersey. Also one little hick town. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yes, it is. Isn't that funny, you son of a gun? All right, Marvin. The, the, the rooster used to wake you up in the morning, right? Every morning. Me, too. And, if he, and I want to tell you something. If he didn't wake me up, I get mad. <laughs> hey, that's nice. All right, then. You have a good evening. All right, you say. Bye.
Let's switch it over to Grandpa. Well, this is a very interesting interview. That's my mom and dad. One of the most precious things that they passed down was their wisdom, their ethics and values, especially about the issue of working and what work is all about. And part of our essence on earth is to be able to stand on our own feet and be able to search out and try to make something out of yourself. But it's important to work and to do it with a positive attitude. The funny part is, is that there's another saying that my dad gave me is not to be a beggar, stand up straight, be proud of whatever work that you do and try to continue to better yourself. Okay. Don't let people put you down when you know you're giving it your best. Be proud of whatever you do, even if you're shoveling shit, even if you're shoveling garbage or picking up garbage, whatever job that you do, take pride in your work, take pride in yourself. As he stated in his end of his interview, that the people that he served with during World War II, and they came home, if he had to wash the street, he had to shovel shit himself or be a busboy, whatever it took. He didn't want to take any handout or free money from the government when there was a program where he could have got a free $20 a week just to, to do nothing. But he was too proudful to not make his own money. My mom, the same way. She was selling shopping bags for a penny where she was happy to make 10 cents or 20 cents at eight years old. Your father got a paper out where he worked his ass off for the first 30 days for free to get the route when he was 12. And I haven't stopped working since I'm, like I said, 11 years old and 11 months and was always able to have money to do whatever I wanted and be my own man at a very early age where I could pay for everything that I wanted to do. I think that's a very important quality to hand down to your legacy of generations. My grandmother or my mom's mom, I had a direct conversation with her. I don't know what conversation she had with my mom about it. I don't think she ever told anybody but me what really happened. On the island of Rhodes, she was fixed up with a man that was dying. They didn't tell her until the night before the wedding. And those, some, some things in those days, especially in Asia and Europe, the Jewish people just got fixed up and uh, you didn't really have much to say about it. But she decided to go through with it because she wanted to give the Varens an opportunity to also have a continuum and to have a legacy and a future. And she came to America when her brother wanted to come because it's supposed to be gold in the streets and raining silver dollars. And the fact is, is that she wanted a new life. And it was very hard in America when she came here. But she wanted an opportunity to make a new life with her newborn son and to try to meet someone else and not be fixed up. And where there was very slim pickings on the island of Rhodes, she wanted to be able to make a new life for herself. And that's one of the gems of America, where it's a land of opportunity and hard work and slaving and being able to put up with whatever adversity. But in this country, you're free to make choices and to have opportunity to grow. And she loved that about America. And she made many businesses here. And she met my grandfather, who just adored her and did not adopt Uncle Mac so that he could keep his name. And now there are another three generations of Varens because of my grandmother's tremendous mitzvah that she did. You know, my mom also used to say to me, 
Wayne, you're really just a, a softy or a pushover, just a sucker. And I'd say, Mom, why do you why do you say that to me? Is because at the factory or with people that I would meet, I was always willing to give people second chances. I was always giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes people take advantage of that as being weakness. The way my mom and dad grew up, they had no choice but to be a lot tougher. And a lot of times going through life, the way they grew up, you don't get second chances. To have a person like Wayne who gave out second chances and always tried to get along with everybody and to try to work hand in hand with them, I wanted to experience where I was a regular guy, that I was a a person that they could trust and work with. And I wanted to have a relationship with all the people that I worked with. And I thought that that you have to have a little give and take. But my mom used to think, again, that I would overdo it and be too nice. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes she was right. And I had to learn the hard way that some people that you give extra chances to, but if they don't have the right attitude, it has absolutely no meaning. And they really just take advantage of that situation. The other thing I wanted to say is that this episode really gives you an idea of what my parents stood for, where they stood for work ethic and values, loyalty, dedication, hard work, standing up for yourself, being proud of what you do, whatever it is, being positive, earning your keep. These are all tremendous values that everybody should be able to learn those lessons. Hopefully, my dad and my mom's lessons will hopefully always be with me. The nice part is that the lessons of their parents, I had long talks with also. So they instilled a lot of that in me as well. But look at the self-sacrifice of my grandmother. And there was another little story I'd like to tell. When my mom's sister, Aunt Bessie, was living on the second floor of an apartment in Miami Beach, and grandma was on the first floor, and she had another small stroke, and she was going to come live with my mom. I heard Aunt Bessie say over the phone that we've already moved into the downstairs apartment. I can't make those steps anymore. You're going to have to keep mom no matter what. And I told that to my grandmother, and she never, ever raised her voice in her entire life to me. And she rips her dress. She had a very high voice. She says, I would give that girl anything, what she's gone through, through life, because Aunt Bessie was, you know, she couldn't move her right side of her body. She says, I would do anything. I would give her my life if I could change things. The idea of, again, willing to sacrifice to keep another person's family going on willing to do anything to help her daughter, give her the shirt off of her back, any money, the place she lives, it's all hers if it just makes and give that girl a little further happiness. This is what it's about. What it's about is not about ourselves, it's about being able to participate and being a part of a community, to be part of a people, to be part of a world of bettering humanity and showing the light to the world, as my mom and dad and I have said many times as well. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.